To celebrate the recent publication of the Oxford Companion to Spirits and Cocktails, we partnered with some amazing brands to explore a few of our most interesting findings from the research, writing, and editing of the book. This week's episode is in partnership with Jose Cuervo Tequila. The book is now available at bookstores around the world. Cheers. Welcome to another edition of Life Behind Bars. I'm Noah Rothbaum, the Daily Beast half full editor. Joining me, as always, is my colleague and co-host, David Weingrich. How are you, Dave? I'm doing well, Noah. Yourself? I am ready for a drink today. And boy, do we have a drink (laughs) for everybody. (laughs) It's one of my favorites, one of your favorites. I think one of many people's favorites, since it's one of the most popular cocktails in the country and and around the world and in bars. Anybody who has drunk a cocktail has probably had at least one margarita, I would say. And even people who don't like cocktails who have had margaritas. Plenty of our listeners have had at least one margarita today. Exactly. (laughs) Whether you love cocktails or you hate them, you've definitely had the margarita. Everybody knows its name, but you know, the history is is a really complicated one. And 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 to be honest, you know, obviously we just finished up. The Oxford Companion to Cocktails and Spirits. It's now out. One of my favorite stories in the nearly 900 pages. One of my favorite entries is, is the entry on the margarita, since it really gets to the bottom of a lot of the myths, the legends, the stories, um, and, and tries to really find some bedrock <laughs> for the history of the mm-hmm. drink to rest upon. So uh, I, I know that is one that we're particularly proud of. And uh, I think one that's particularly important. It's it's a complicated story. Uh, and that's kind of what happens when any drink gets really popular. It's usually not right away and it's usually spread kind of quietly for a while. So the drink's gotten around and uh, by the time it pops up and it's really popular, there are a lot of people who are going to claim credit for it. Right. And they don't necessarily, you know, they can't all be right, but they're not all necessarily lying either, because uh, it takes a lot of people to make a drink popular. If you had a little role early on in popularizing it, uh, you might think that, you know, it was your drink. Right. And uh, you or you invented something like the popular one maybe with a different name, you might think that you deserve a little credit, and you might. And so once credit is being handed out, there's a long line. It's also one of these drinks where it's, you know, not the frozen kind, but the, the classic, you know, cocktail kind. It's a mix of, at its base, right, tequila, fresh yeah. lime juice, and then either, you know, some kind of orange liqueur, right? And agave nectar and, and, and shaken with ice and then and then strained and either over like neat or, or over uh, crushed ice or ice cubes. And, uh, you know, that's that's the basic drink. But that also means that it's related to a lot of different other drinks. It's got tentacles all over cocktail history. Right. I mean, there's so many stories there. There are we've got a list of six people who claim that they invented it. And that we can't dismiss their claims. The list could have been three times as long. Yeah. Also, we added another one to that who didn't claim it, but probably should have is uh, this guy Madden, who kept a, a bar in Tijuana 
and invented the tequila daisy, supposedly. The tequila daisy is somehow related to the margarita because uh, a daisy is an older kind of drink. And uh, there are two ways of making it. One is with spirit plus uh, citrus juice, grenadine, crushed ice, uh, maybe a little soda. If you make that with tequila, you get a tequila daisy, or it's also known as a tequila sunrise in the early version before the orange juice. But there's the other way of making a daisy, which is spirits plus citrus juice plus orange liqueur and a little splash of soda water. You leave out the soda water and you use tequila and you've got a margarita there. And of course, the word margarita in Spanish means daisy, right? So that's daisy, it, exactly. So that adds a little credence to that too. So. so it's complicated. It's a complicated story. How do you get to the bottom of stories like this? I mean, what we did was basically go with the evidence. We gave the names of the six people who may have invented it. We, uh, you know, said we don't know beyond a certain point because we don't. All these people's claims uh, are uh, said in the late 1930s or early 1940s, even in actually going into the late 1940s. So it's about 10 years from 1936. 12 years, let's say, to 1948. Sometime during then, this drink was supposedly invented. There's some issues with that. It turns up under other names. You get the same formula turning up as far afield as London and New York. Uh, and the one in New York even has a salt rim. It's exactly right. like a margarita, but it's just called a, a tequila sour. So, But these six people claimed that they invented the actual margarita. They can't all be right, but uh, it seems clear it was a drink that was floating around northern Mexico and southern California in the late 1930s and uh, into the 40s, and uh, that a bunch of people, it passed through their hands before it finally got popularized. And I think that's part of it is that, you know, I, I almost see this as kind of like entering into one of those amazing British mazes you know, or like a corn maze, right? Where you, you, you kind of go where the path leads you. Sometimes it leads to a dead end. Sometimes mm -hmm. it brings you back to the beginning. <laughs> sometimes you finally find your way through. Sometimes it takes 10 minutes. Sometimes it takes all afternoon, right? And it's like, you, you think you're never going to be able to get out of there. And that's, that's kind of the thing with the margarita history where, you know, we've talked about this on other episodes, but I think with a lot of these drinks, you know, the idea of combining spirits plus, you know, a sweetener plus some kind of sour. I mean, that's one of the most basic recipes in mixology, right? And yeah, it a doesn't lot take of drinks. a lot of inventing. Right. So, I mean, it, it, it's more than plausible that you have different people making different versions of essentially tequila, you know, sour. And, then, and that's why we see it popping up or mutating and changing slightly the most popular new drink in the 1930s was the sidecar brandy with lemon juice and Cointreau. And uh, so sometimes a sugar rim in America. So to make a tequila version, you would probably use lime juice, not lemon juice, because uh, lime juice is more Mexican. You could probably put salt around the rim because uh, people were already drinking tequila with a suck of lime and a lick of salt. It's kind of a no-brainer to put salt on the rim. And suddenly you've got a uh, tequila sidecar 
And in fact, in the 40s, you see tequila sidecars advertised. And what makes that different from a margarita? Nothing other than the name. It's this drink that's everywhere, but it doesn't appear as a margarita until 1953. So right. a good long time later. And it's also interesting because, you know, you touched upon it where, you know, I think that there are a lot of potential creators of the margarita, but, but, you know, a lot of people may have put tequila and lime juice and some kind of sweetener together, but what really launches the drink massively in America, we see it in 1955 and 1956, where Jose Cuervo really starts pushing out advertising in national newspapers with the recipes yeah. for for a number of cocktails, right? So so something, you know, both the tequila sour, what they called the matador, which what was an interesting drink on its own, a tequila and tonic, and then finally the margarita. That really comes about because one of the one of the claims for the drink's invention is 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 this guy John Durlesser, who's a very interesting guy. He was born in Pennsylvania, served in the army in World War II. Uh, was the opening bartender at this uh, restaurant in Hollywood, McHenry's Tale of the Cock. And uh, the Tale of the Cock was a very popular Hollywood steakhouse. Everybody went there and the bar was popular. Uh, their bartender, you know, this, this guy, Johnny Durlesser, he gets called up. He goes to, to World War II. He comes back and uh, starts behind the bar again. And uh, working along, he becomes one of the uh, founders of the... Uh, Bartenders Guild in California, the dean of of Los Angeles bartenders, basically, by the by the early 1950s. He's quite famous locally. And uh, one day, the uh, distributor for Jose Cuervo Tequila, uh, which is Young's Market, is which is still a company. The guy from Young's Market notices he's selling so much tequila to the tail of the cock. Not not just to any other account, more, but more than to all of his accounts in LA put together. Uh, tequila had kind of had a vogue during World War II, but after World War II, it was dead once people could get whiskey again. And it was really not doing great until he notices this huge amount of sales. So he goes in and he finds that they're selling this drink, the margarita. And he's, what the hell is this? And Durlesser says, <laughs> well, you know, uh, this is a drink we've been making here and we're selling a lot of it. Uh, it convinces uh, Young's Market to take a bigger stake in Cuervo and to sponsor this advertising campaign. That campaign really breaks tequila out because uh, it turns out the margarita is delicious. It gets written up in Esquire. It gets written up all over. Uh, and uh, it becomes the thing that you have in Mexican restaurants, which are starting to get popular in America. And so in the 50s, you see the margarita some, but it really breaks out in the 1960s. You know, it really fits the character of the times. Everybody's looking for kind of new, cool, funky stuff that's a little bohemian and not like straight, average uh, business suit type stuff. You start to see all these uh, people monkeying around with the, uh, the the margarita and frozen margaritas, which is yeah. just a crazy story. A case of something that was bubbling up under for a long time. And finally, caught its moment just exactly right. It's interesting too because I think you're right. You this whole Southern California beach culture, obviously the Beach Boys come mm -hmm. out of that, and you know all of the you know the surfing movies and 
you know, all of even the Hawaiian movies, people are definitely curious about drinks from warm locations and beautiful beaches and stuff. And pun intended, tequila kind of rides a little bit of a wave, you know, of mm-hmm. all of this. And, you know, when you and I first started talking about this and looking into this, it was one of many possible threads, right? And and what emerged though, as you look further and further into the, you know, Cuervo's campaign, I mean, it's like a six-figure advertising campaign in the mid-50s, right? I mean, that's a ton of money. I mean, even now, that would be a lot of money. But, you know, we're talking about almost 70 years ago. I mean, it's a huge amount of money, so much that, like, the New York Times is even writing about the campaign, right? And it's talking about how Mm -hmm. they've introduced a new square bottle with a new label, which is basically what they still use today or some version of so like you know even like our kind of modern concept of what tequila is then you know is really set in the 50s and cuervo you know definitely dominates the category then you know and it has such a big role at the time so that i mean this was huge news and at first the matador you know sort of written up as kind of the breakout drink Mm -hmm. which is tequila and pine uh, pineapple juice and lime and shaken and you know serve with yeah, it's kind of ice. a tiki-ish drink almost yeah and at first that you start to see a lots of like sort of like chatter about that in newspaper articles and even the success of the campaign and what's funny is that over time i mean they almost hedged their bets because there's both a tequila sour ad i mean these are they were the ads that cuervo placed they each one was about a different drink with the full recipe that ran yeah. in the newspaper that was what really helped there was a recipe Absolutely. Not only can you buy this tequila, here's what you do with it. Also, they put out a lot of little booklets. I have a a little collection of them, which is very interesting because you see them curating the drinks. Every new edition, some drinks are in and some drinks are out. And the margarita isn't in some of the early ones. And then suddenly it's like, oh, that's the one we got to go with. They thought the tequila Manhattan was going to be the big one and uh, and the Matador. But uh, really, the tequila Manhattan was. uh, was what they were pushing. It's very funny. It's interesting because the tequila sour that they're advertising. So there's both the tequila sour and the margarita. Yeah. And the sour, you know, is lemon and sugar. And the margarita essentially, you know, use closer to what we know as sort of the standard margarita recipe, which is funny too. Well, I mean, it, it helped that the margarita had uh, this sort of underground cred already. I mean, it was in Hollywood when it's first mentioned in print. It was in Rosarito Beach in, uh, near Ensenada in, in Baja, California. And it was part of the, the that was where like the film people went to hang out. So it yeah. was already kind of had its adherence, even by the, you know, by 1950. And some of the uh, people who are credited for, for, for the drink have ties to, to the film community and the entertainment community, it probably had the deck stacked a little bit in its favor. Oh, for sure. But it is interesting. I mean, like in one ad that runs in the LA Times in, 50, in the summer of 56, it's one ounce Cuervo tequila, one ounce of triple sec, one ounce of lime juice, shake with shaved ice and served in a salt rim glass, which, I mean, maybe the proportions are a little bit different than yeah. what we do today, but it's almost spot on. <laughs> what we serve and and usually not over shaved ice but you know what's funny though is that's the exact same recipe that was in the cotton club drink book in 1938 
that Charlie Connolly put together in New York uh, as a tequila sour. Uh, and Charlie Connolly was the head bartender at the Players Club. His clients kept coming uh, from the West Coast. You know, they're all actors. Clearly, somebody had come from California and told him this drink. Yeah. And he puts it in the Cotton Club book because he gets hired to put this thing together. And, you know, that drink had nothing to do with the Cotton Club, which was a, a, Har- a Harlem night spot and yeah. you know, not very Mexican. You know, Charlie Connolly is a bartender to the stars when they're in New York. So uh, this is what he's putting in. I mean, that's what kind of emerged from our research and putting the article together for the entry for the, for the book is that you see this drink bubbling up in different spots exactly right like different bars different bartenders and it truly gets you know influencers real influencers i don't mean social media but actual influencers are taking this drink with them right so like you can imagine some you know hollywood star who's used to having margaritas in la comes to new york for some theater engagement or to Mm -hmm. do tv or a it's solvent or whatever, you know, show of the time, or I guess it's, it's more like a Jackie Gleason show, right on 55th street. And they come and they go to the cotton club and they're like, Hey, can I get a margarita? And it's like, what's that? Like, I'll tell you, here's the recipe. And then suddenly it's popping up all over, but really it's, it's, it just shows like even, even with that kind of star power behind it and popularity, it still is kind of under the surface. And then this kind of, I mean, as far as we can tell, the ad campaign in the newspapers really pushes it over the top into the mass, you know, market. Yeah, exactly. Instead of like with some drinks, it's more, at least in my mind, it's that, you know, so-and-so is the first to mix vermouth and whiskey, right? You know, or, or this, or the Negroni, right? The first person to mix Campari and sweet vermouth and gin, right? And that's like a watershed moment. And here it's, after years of thinking about this, perhaps too much, there's probably many people are putting together the margarita, but it's really the watershed moment is this popularization in the mid fifties with Jose Cuervo and then others who run with it. And this becomes like a sensation that's larger than one bar or one bartender. Drinks become popular for a reason. They become popular when they're needed, (laughs) you know, when, when it's like, (laughs) when they make sense, you can have Charlie Connolly at the players club you know, stocking tequila for whoever his uh, L.A. Uh, customers are and, and, and making these drinks forever. And it'll never break out unless the public really needs this thing, you know, unless there's yeah. a lot of people who, who uh, look at that and go, oh, that's exactly like what I want. I mean, you could look at like the apple martini in the uh, in the 80s and 90s. You know, that's kind of a similar thing where it was a Hollywood drink made at one bar in Hollywood and it stayed there for a while until suddenly it's like everybody needed something in a martini glass that was sweet and uh and strong and uh fruity because they really weren't martini drinkers you know but they needed something in that glass and they needed something they could call a martini and uh and so hey there's the apple martini sounds like a martini but you know it's just uh, schnapps, green apple schnapps and vodka. You and I have had the fortune of putting together this this amazing book with all of our contributors from mm-hmm. around the world and, and, and kind of getting to pull back a little bit and see sometimes these bigger you know trends or the way that things get popular or you know how recipes suddenly pop up in different places and why. 
I mean, that's, 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 uh, you know, one of the great benefits of, of doing this kind of book where it's just, you're able to step back and see some of the, the big macro yeah. trends of, uh, of cocktails and spirits. It's kind of useful, not looking at just one cocktail and how it spread, but looking at all of them. <laughs> exactly. So you get some rules and you get some conclusions as, as to how they spread. That's where you get theories like cocktails aren't popular unless they're needed. It's true. It's true. Well, well, I, I you know, this has definitely gotten me thirsty for a margarita. Yeah, I need a margarita now. So I, wh- whether you call it a sour or a daisy or margarita, I think we can all agree that we need to make one this evening, um, this afternoon. Now. So uh, <laughs> now um, it's uh, afternoon somewhere. Um, we hope you enjoy it. There's obviously more about the margarita and, and uh, tequila and the, and the Oxford Companion to Spirits and Cocktails. Uh, enjoy. Cheers. Dave and I encourage you to drink responsibly always. 